You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. To find more resources and learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. All right. I love hearing those welcomes and uh, invite you to join me as we go to God's Word, continuing in our preaching series through the Gospel of John, looking at these special encounters with Jesus that leaves us uh, not the same. We can't have a confrontation and encounter with Christ and remain the same. And so we uh, come to chapter 1, verse 35, where Jesus calls his first disciples. Let's follow along in God's Word. Chapter 1, starting in verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. He looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two, two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to him, said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is God's word came across this advertisement uh, not long ago that really caught my eye. It was on social media, and it was just visually stunning. It was beautiful. It made me pause. It was colorful. It was clean. They had bold fonts. I mean, it was just, it was just an awesome ad, and it really caught my eye, and the text simply said this uh, in front of a backdrop of just beautiful colors. It said, in the shadow of uncertainty an answer can light the way. And I thought, this is beautiful. What church is this from? And then, and then the logo popped up, Mayo Clinic. <laughs> and then the tagline, you know where to go. And I thought, this is beautiful. The, listen, the ad worked. I went down this long rabbit whole of like investigating this ad campaign. Uh, Viola Davis, you know, the Academy Award winning actress, like narrates the whole ad. I mean, it's incredible. She talks about the uncertainty of not having answers, uh, the pain of, um, of not knowing what's going to happen, the comfort that comes in your life when you have answers. And she's so right. 
This is how much of life is. There's confusion, there's doubt, there's uh, discomfort when we don't know what's gonna happen. When we don't have answers to our conflict or our discomfort, where do we go when we are in a place like that? Well, Viola Davis knows. We go to Mayo Clinic. Now, life is filled with uncertainty, and there's comfort in answers. And, and today, we really, we pick up in our teaching through the Gospel of John, and we see some pretty amazing answers to questions that are, that are really vital to all of life. Jesus has begun his public ministry. Uh, John the Baptist spots Jesus. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then we're told that two people follow from John the Baptist's disciples. They leave that group and they start following Jesus. Now, when I say follow, when the Bible uses follow here, it's not talking about they become his disciples. Like they're literally like walking after him. <laughs> Jesus is walking about his way and he notices that two men are following him. And one of them is Andrew. The other is not named. The consensus among scholars is that it's John, the one who is the author of this narrative. Uh, the, not John the Baptist, but the other John. Jesus stops. He turns to them. And here becomes an encounter that changes these men forever. The encounter gives answers to the early uh, followers of Jesus, what they were looking for, deep answers to what they hoped to find. And these are vital questions that we also, I think, ask ourselves in life. In fact, they're, they're questions that I believe drive our entire lives. There's probably just a few handful of core questions that, that drive our lives that we long to have answers to. We're going to look at a few of those questions. The first question here is, what do you really want out of life? What do you really want out of life? What do you pursue? What are your passions? What are your desires? And when Jesus turns to these men, he asks them, what are you seeking? Now, at face value, it's pretty clear. It seems that it's a pretty straightforward question as if to ask, you know, what's on your mind? You're following what's on your mind. But the author is, it has, is really leading us into a, a dual meaning to this, something much deeper, something like, what do you want out of life? What makes you tick? What are you searching for? What is your heart's desire? And kind of subsequently, why do you think that I'm the one that can help you with that? This would have been a, a really actually a common question that rabbis of the time would ask. Those who were in a position of, of being a teacher, a rabbi, those who would take disciples to themselves, they would ask the disciples, like, so what are you looking for to see if we're a good match? What do you want out of life? I may not be the right teacher for you. You might not be the right student for me. It's like a job interview, right? Where do you see yourself in five years? Describe yourself in three words. If you were an animal, what animal would you be? You know, things like that. This, they're not looking for literal answers to that question. What they're trying to discern is your heart. Who are you and what do you seek? What do you desire? What, what makes you tick in life? what do you really want out of life? Jesus asks them, and this question is really posed for us as well. Because if you're looking for political influence, Jesus isn't the guy for you. If you're looking for status and fortune and intelligence and gaining worldly knowledge and possessions, and if you want recognition from the world, then Jesus isn't the one for you. And so he wants to discern from them, what are you looking for? 
Their response gives us a clue to what they're looking for. They call him rabbi, which means teacher. They're hoping Jesus can teach them the way. They're hoping Jesus can give them answers to life. Show them the righteous way of living. Instruct them in wisdom. They call him teacher because that's who they think that he is and what he can offer. Information about, will you point the way to us? Because we desire righteous living, just like John did. You see, John sees Jesus, and he points to Jesus, and he says, follow him. That's the one that we're looking for. And that's what rabbis did. That's what teachers did. They can just point. And in fact, that's all you and I can do is just keep pointing, pointing to answers in life. But there's something different that Jesus does. When the one who points to him and they come to him and and he stops pointing, he doesn't teach them the way. He doesn't teach them the way to go. He reveals that he is the way, that he's the one that they've been looking for. A teacher can point you to answers, but Jesus does something so different than any other rabbi. He doesn't point to the answers of life. He reveals himself as the answer to life that we've been looking for. When Jesus says, what are you seeking? It's not a reprimand. Uh, He's not reprimanding them. and, and He's kind of revealing their motives. It's a sort of way of asking, why do you want to draw near to me? Why do you want part in me? This is a good question for you to reflect on, for us to reflect on. Why do you want to know more about Jesus? You know, when you read the question, it can't, we can't help but, but stop and pause and say, you know, what am I seeking out of God? What am I seeking out of a relationship with Jesus? Why do you want to associate with Christ? Why does Jesus interest you? What is it about him? I mean, you're in church, and so there's, it's no surprise, right? You pr- probably assume we were going to talk about Jesus today. Why are you here? What about going to church and being a part of this gathering that is so kind of honestly a little strange, people just coming together and learning about this ancient story? What interests you about Jesus? If we're going to follow Jesus, it's good for us to be able to articulate what it really is that we hope to gain from him. And that's what Jesus is wanting to discern in their hearts. And how Jesus responds shows his intention with them and his intentions with us. He says, come and I'll show you. Come and see. Come and you will see. You will see the answers to life. You will see the answers to all that drives us. You will see what you were created to look for and then to stop looking for once you found it. Come and follow me and you'll find out. You ever run into a person that you haven't seen in a long time? And then you start making promises like, hey, we should really get together sometime. Does that ever happen? (laughs) Do you ever get together with that person? Usually not, but what if that conversation went a little different? Hey, we should really get together sometime, and the other person says, how about right now? Kind of really test your motives of like, did you really want to spend time? Did you really want to clear your schedule? Do you really have an interest in relationship with that person? And will you do that now? That's what Jesus does. He doesn't send them along the way. He invites them in close. He says, come, find out what I'm all about. See for yourself. And again, this would have been a, a really common way for rabbis to speak to their prospective students. Come and you will see. It, it's this offer, it's this invitation, an offer to find out who Jesus is and what he can offer to those who follow him. And we're t- not told what they talked about. Wouldn't you love to be a part of that little dinner party? We don't know what they talked about, but honestly, what they talked about wasn't important. Otherwise, John would have told us. But he tells us what we need to know. And that is they came into this relationship calling him teacher. 
And the next day they left that house calling him savior. They came wanting to learn information and to be pointed to the way and they left convinced that he was the way. This changed from someone who can just instruct us how to live to the meaning of all of life and the center of all of our desires and hopes and everything that we were created to know and to trust in. From teacher to savior. It's often what happens when we encounter Jesus. We often come to Jesus seeking things. We come to him seeking answers and comfort. We come to Jesus seeking peace or maybe a better balance to life. I mean, what brought you to Christ? What was it that you desired? What is it that you desire now? Well, I want to be a, a well, well-rounded person. I want to be kind. I want to be, uh, I want to be um, healthy emotionally and spiritually. So we go to God wanting him to give us all of these things, but after an encounter with him, what happens? We end up giving him our entire life. We often go seeking things from him, and then when he reveals who he is, we can't help but give everything to him. Because our greatest need is not intellectual. It's not even relational or emotional. It's not political. Our greatest need is spiritual, and that is only met in Christ. And this encounter that they have with him reveals that he's not just another person to give us certain qualities that we admire and desire in life. He's the one and only one that can rescue us from our greatest need. This alienation that we have between us and God because of our sin. Jesus changes our wants. He changes our very motivation. He changes our desires. We often come to him desiring something and he gives to us the very thing we never knew that we needed. A deep relationship with him that transforms us from the inside out. He shows us that even greater comforts we long for in life are like the greatest comforts that we desire are far too small of an ambition. He is so much greater than the greatest thing that the world has to offer. He's the answer to what we're looking for. What are you looking for? What do you seek to hope to get from Jesus? And if it's anything but him, it falls way too short. I want him. I want a relationship with him. That's what he comes to provide. The second question is, can I truly be known and deeply accepted? Now, I believe this is a core question in life, and I believe it's a core uh, answer that is given to these disciples. And I don't mean this overly, you know, romanticized or emotional or mushy kind of love and affection. Uh, I mean the, the core desire that we all have to be known, to be accepted, to be connected to another despite our failures and despite our weaknesses. And we have two examples in our passage where I believe our passage answers this question. Now, you know that the answer is yes, right? Can we be truly known and accepted? I'm here to tell you today, no, sorry. <laughs> no, of course we can. Of course we can. It comes through this encounter that, that Jesus has with Peter and Nathaniel. These two stories kind of parallel to each other and similar in some ways. In first century Palestine, the, the way to properly identify a person and to d- determine a man's credibility and value in some ways was, uh, is what I would call the, the, the kindergarten cop credential, right? And Arnold Schwarzenegger, when he interviews all those kids and he says, who is your daddy and what does he do? No? Wow. Okay. All right. Who's with me on that? Okay. So the kindergarten cop credential, who is your daddy and what does he do? 
Where are you from? What do you do? What does he do? Who are you? Why are you important? Why should I listen to you? And so in first century, thank you for a couple chuckles. Thank you. In first century Palestine, it was, who is your daddy? What does he do? That's why you're important. And are you credible? And why should I listen to you? Where are you from? And who is your father? What does he do? And then that reputation follows you for the rest of your life. And the, your value, and even much more um, than that, but even the affection and love and, and your, the probability of being accepted and connected to others and even the kinds of people that you hung out with, it was all connected to this, this pedigree of your character, the character of your family, where you all came from. And it's not so much different today, is it? This demand to kind of pro- prove ourselves to prove our, our, our credibility, our resume, to kind of, uh, to make sure that we're approved in another person's eyes. Why? By, by, by how? Our, what we accumulate, what we accomplish in life. Whether it's our confidence, our, our reputation, our abilities and competencies. And we try to prove to the world, like, I'm important because of these things. So it's not much different. First words that come out of Jesus' mouth when he sees Peter. So you're Peter, son of John. I know all about you, but not anymore. That's not your name. I'm going to call you Kephas, which means the rock. It's quite an upgrade, isn't it? That's good. You know, you ever meet someone for the first time and say, oh, so you're Sally. <laughs> That's weird. And you ever, is, you ever, did anybody ever say that to you? Not Sally, but like your name. <laughs> it's like, so, so yeah, so you're, you're Peter. That's never like a good feeling. It's like, what do you know about me that I don't know that you know about me? And is it good? Because all of a sudden now I feel very insecure. It's always scary to meet somebody that knows more about you than you know that they know. And Jesus confronts Peter and says, I know you. I know where you're from. I know who your daddy is. I know all about you. We don't have to introduce ourselves to Christ. He, He knows us fully and thoroughly. He knows us completely. He knows our deepest weaknesses and sins and our, our deepest longings. He, he knows our insecurities. He knows it all. And then he takes Peter and says, you're mine now. See, I know you and I accept you. I know you and, I, and I'm drawing you in. And I'm going to give you a new identity and I'm going to make you new and I'm going to, no longer will you have an identity uh, based upon your credibility that is on a foundation of your character or your family story or your reputation. But on me connecting myself to you, that's who you are now. But don't make any mistake, I know everything about you. And I don't accept you because of your great reputation that precedes you. I actually accept you in spite of all that. You know, something so gracious, something so favorable about being the one who gets to name somebody. Whether it's naming your own child or even in Genesis when God gave the great favor and grace to Adam to name all of the creatures. It was a great blessing. He was bestowing upon him honor and value. But I don't think this story is told here, at least in this part, to focus so much on the name change as much as we're meant to know something about how Jesus relates to us, how he relates to his children, how he relates to his people. And that is this, he knows us thoroughly, completely. 
He knows you. He is not one who is distant, who keeps himself like distantly aloof and, and emotionally unavailable. He is a God who comes straight into our lives, looks us right in the eyes and says, I know everything about you. I, I formed you. I know your heart. I know your struggles. I know it all. And I'm still here to connect with you, to know you, for you to know me. He takes one look at Peter and says, so you're Peter. I know it all. I know what you don't even know about yourself. And here's the thing. I even know that you're going to betray me. And I still choose you. Later on in the Gospel of John, we'll see this betrayal. It's not a prediction. It's, a, it's, a, it's not a foreshadowing. It's, he knows because he knows the future because he ordained it. He says, you're going to deny me, Peter, and I still choose you. I still love you. I still die for you, and I will make you into what I call you to be. Despite all your failures, he says, I will build my church on you. You will will die for me out of love for me. I will create you into this person. This is what he does with us as well. He, He makes you and I into the people he calls us to be. And we have to say, God, I can't be that. I can't be that person or that version that you think that I am. I can't be that really great, mature, spiritual person that has it all together. And he looks right in our eyes and he says, I know you. I will make you into who you are. I will make you into who I called you to be. Now, I think that's really the kind of confrontation that you and I desire to have with people, but rarely have. I think you and I really desire to have someone look at us and say, man, you, you, really, you really did mess up. And I know so much about you, but I still accept you. I still love you. I still choose you. I'll choose you today and tomorrow. When our flaws, here's the thing, a lot of people don't want to know us. That's on one level. And another level, the people, some people do know us, and when they get to really know us and our flaws, they reject us. I just want you to know that Jesus is not like that. You need to know that Jesus is not like that. That his acceptance of us is not based upon our ability to please him. His acceptance of us is not based upon our, our ability to get things right and to obey him and follow him and to do everything right. He looks us straight in the eyes. He says, there's no secrets here. You're completely bare, laid open before me. I know all of it. And I will give everything for you. It's the kind of relationship that we're looking for in life. When people see into your hearts and see the ugly stuff, they often pull away. But what does Jesus do? He starts moving towards people. And often when we look in the scriptures, it's, the, it's actually the messiest people that we see him running towards the quickest. But, but messy people in our life and people filled with flaws and, and brokenness and, all ki- and even all kinds of sins, we distance ourselves. But these are the people that God runs towards. He says, I will make you into the person I've called you to be. It's amazing just to look in someone's eyes and say, I know who you are and I'm still with you. And then there's Nathaniel. I really like Nathaniel's story. Nathaniel judges, judges Jesus on the kindergarten cop credential too. 
Oh, so you're Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. We've heard about you. Has anything good come out of Nazareth? And Jesus says, I know a little bit about you too, Nathaniel. I saw what you were doing under the fig tree. He says, how do you know me? What was he doing under the fig tree? That's what I want to ask when I get to heaven. What were you doing under the fig tree that you shouldn't have been doing, that Jesus saw and that you were really ashamed of? We don't know, but that's really not the point. But here's the point. He says, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. I know you. And immediately he says, you're the son of God, king of Israel. Now, this wasn't just like, oh, I saw you over there. I saw you, like, like as if like a hundred other people saw him. Something was going on where in Jesus saying this exposes his supernatural knowledge of Nathaniel and a specific event. So much so that he was cut to the heart in a moment to confess and worship Christ as the almighty God. And Nathaniel says, how do you know that? Jesus says to him, similarly what he says to Peter, I saw you, I see you still. And there's a, there's a more appropriate way, a word that John could have used just to use a word see, like I, I observed you over there, standing over there. He doesn't use that word. He uses a different word that is a marriage between two concepts, to see and to perceive. It's like to look into someone's heart by just looking at them, by knowing their innermost being. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I peered into your heart. I saw you, and I saw your heart in that moment under the fig tree, and I want you to know that I don't reject you. And that changed his life. And, he, and, and Jesus is saying, and I'm still here inviting you in. This is so radical. At the time, it's even radical. Now, the way that the religious leaders involved themselves with the common people in first century Palestine was to keep people at a distance, was to keep their followers at a distance from the religious leaders because the appeal to religious leaders was their majesty and their, their authority and their power and their unapproachableness. And so there's something enticing about leaders because they were kind of unapproachable. Jesus tears down that wall and he gets so close to his people. He does something that the leaders of the time don't do. He moves towards people. He has an intimate personal relationship with them. The difference with Jesus is that he invites them in to know him, not just a little, completely. And in fact, later on in the gospel, John 17, he prays that there would be a time that will come when we know him as much as he knows us. He promises that to be true. See, Jesus draws us in so close that he says, you know what? Like I peer into your soul and I know everything about you. And one day you're going to be able to do the same with me. And until that day, I'm going to keep drawing you close. Until that day, I want you to keep pursuing me. Have you ever had to approach somebody in authority over you? Maybe a boss or a professor or even a, an authoritative or domineering parent? There's some people that you just know are like unemotionally unavailable to you, and it's really difficult to get close to. I will tell you right now that Jesus is not like that. He is not one like that that is emotionally unavailable to us, even in our darkest 
time. That's what happens when we have a personal encounter with Jesus. We initially go to him for stuff, for blessing, for peace, for answered prayers, for joy, and then we find out who he really is and we end up giving him our entire life and worshiping him with our whole being, with our full heart, and we increasingly open up to him and become honest with him and allow him to extend grace to parts of our life that we were so afraid to, to open up to anyone. Son of God, King of Israel. Now here's an interesting thing. Now, Nathaniel, now we use the kindergarten cop credential on Jesus. Who's your daddy and what does he do? He's God Almighty. He's creator of all heaven and earth. He's created this plan, and he's created you, and he has made you for this moment to know Jesus and to give your life fully to him. How beautiful is that? This whole time, it was all about the credentials of these guys, the followers of Jesus, and now it's the credential of Jesus that matters more than anything. The confession of Nathaniel, son of God, king of Israel, in a moment, he realizes that he is known and accepted, truly loved, not based on his own pedigree or his character or who his daddy is, but who Jesus is. Based upon who Jesus is and who his father is. This is the last time I'll say daddy, okay? It's getting weird. What's really going on? Some head nods. What's really coming down? What's going on here? It's a trusting in Jesus' righteousness and not his own. That's really what it means to be a Christian. To follow Jesus, to be a disciple of Christ, it's not to just follow in a, a way of an example. It's not to just accumulate certain personalities or niceness. To be a Christian, to follow Jesus, is to, to trade in our righteousness for his. To stop relying on who we are and start relying on who he is for all of our needs. Most importantly, our spiritual needs, our needs to be rescued, to bridge this gap, this huge chasm between us and God because of our, actually, our character and pedigree. That's what it really comes down to. And finally, we see this last answer kind of bringing this all together. Can Jesus truly be trusted? Can he really be trusted with that, with us giving everything to him? Wrapping it up in these last two verses in chapter one, Jesus responds to Nathanael's worship by saying, so you trust me because I saw you under the fig tree. And he says, that's nothing. <laughs> you ain't seen nothing yet. Let me get this straight. You're willing to give me worship and allegiance and and." You're willing to believe and trust in me because I saw into your heart and I told you I know you? I'm going to do so many better things than that. Wait till I see what I have planned to do next. You see, Nathaniel took a step of faith in Jesus, largely based upon Jesus' display of his supernatural knowledge. So Jesus, like, basically does a miracle here. He reveals his supernatural knowledge to Nathaniel 
and his faith is largely based on this miracle. And uh, when we do that, our foundation can be pretty insecure. It's not that God's miracles are bad or that we shouldn't believe in him based upon supernatural things, but when we trust in the expression of supernatural things, it becomes a very insecure foundation to base our whole faith and hope on. We can't trust Jesus based on just seeing his supernatural activity in our life day to day. You know, relying on these mountaintop experiences. God, show me a sign. Show me that you still love me. God, just a neon sign, right? We all have the neon sign. Just give me the answer. We can't rely on God to do those sorts of things because it's too insecure. We, we rely on just positive experiences and when things become difficult, we wonder if God still cares for us. And Jesus points us to a greater foundation of trust, a greater foundation of our belief in him. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, this is really strange, right? This is a strange thing to say, but it wouldn't be strange to Nathaniel. He knows exactly what Jesus is saying. But for you and I, it doesn't make entirely a lot of sense unless we know our Old Testament. You see, what happened was this is Jacob's dream. Jacob, chosen by God to hold the promise of God, the blessing of God that would continue for his people. He chose Jacob. And Jacob had a dream, and he sees this dream where a ladder is going from heaven to Jacob, and up and down that ladder is the glory of God going back and forth. And now Jesus says, this is about me. This is what's going on. This is about me. I am that ladder and I am connecting sinful man with the glory of God in heaven. And you will see in the coming days me reveal this glory in new ways and eventually establishing my glory forever on earth where everyone will know it. And Jesus is saying that he is the one that is bridging the gap between our need and our suffering and our insecurities and all of our weakness, he is the one that bridges the gap between our sin and the glorious God that desires a relationship with us. And Nathaniel can't grasp this at the time. He doesn't know exactly how Jesus will reveal that glory, but we do know. We know because we look back, we look at the cross. We see when Jesus says, you haven't seen anything yet. You haven't seen my glory revealed in any way yet, but you're about to see it. We see it through his life, through his perfect life, through his sacrificial death. We know because of the cross of Christ, we don't need to climb up a ladder to God because he becomes that bridge for us. The cross of Christ, his perfect life, his sacrificial death for our sins bridges the gap between us and God. It's the only thing that can do that because it's a distance far too great for you and I to travel. In essence, is Jesus, Jesus is saying this, do not trust me because you've seen great things, because you've seen me do great things. Trust me because my glory will endure forever and I've been appointed by God to fulfill all of his promises and I will not fail. He says, verily, verily, we will see this a lot of time in the gospel of John, these two words together, and it just means very truly, it's like the pinky promise of the time, all right? He said, this is going to happen. 
where does, where's the foundation of our hope? It's the glory of God in Christ who has accomplished all that God has promised. We don't need these, these, these you know, flashes in the pan, these sparks. We don't need these like supernatural acts to remind us that God is with us and for us. He has given us his son. We have the witness of the cross. We have the enduring presence of his Holy Spirit. We have his promises that he has never gone back on. And he says, don't trust me because you see great things. Trust me because God Almighty has promised to do this through me. And that's, man, God is, if we don't take God at his word, then where's our hope? Jesus is the one that our hearts are made to search for. And from God, through Jesus, will flow his abounding and unending grace to all who come and see him. Come and see. Come to him and have your desires fulfilled. Come and have your greatest longings. Come and be rescued. Come to him and cease from your striving to climb that ladder to his favor because he opens his arms and offers it to you and I freely. Thanks for listening to this audio from Holy Cross Church. Visit us at holycrosstucson.com to find more resources and connect with us.